0: Hello everyone, I'm Ellis Traub and this is Money, Business, and More. Today we're going to talk about the people in your business. If you were part of a large company, you'd have a human resources department whose responsibilities and job descriptions would include recruiting, interviewing, hiring, determining staffing requirements, defining job descriptions, training and development managing compensation and benefits, labor law compliance, employee relations, and workplace safety. A part of that responsibility would be to create the organization charts that show the chain of command, who reports to whom, which positions are line positions, and which are staff positions, the foreman being those whose responsibility it is to direct others in their work, the latter being those who perform services that support the operation of the company. The chief executive officer and those down the line who direct the operations that produce the company's goods or services are line officers. Those who perform the functions that support those functions are in the staff category. Finance, marketing, and human resources are examples of those staff functions. As an entrepreneur, all of the line and staff functions fall on your shoulders. And until you can afford to hire somebody else to help you, you're it. Since there's only one of you and only 24 hours in a day, you'll have to prioritize your time so as to cover all the bases to effectively and efficiently conduct your business. Presumably, you'll have written a business plan that satisfies you that with manageable risks, your enterprise will be profitable enough to meet the financial needs of you and your family for the rest of your life. You might even have been ambitious enough to envision and lay out a plan to grow your business large enough to ultimately take it public or franchise it and get rich. As a part of that plan, you've anticipated the orderly hiring of people to take those responsibilities off your hands as your business progresses and can afford it. So how should that go? Should you look at the neat organization chart you incorporated in your business plan to impress your potential lenders or investors? Fill in the holes in the chart with names as soon as you can. That's what the business schools have taught their MBAs for years. And if you're gonna work in a big company, maybe aspiring to become vice president of human resources, it would work. But as an entrepreneur just starting a business, that's just not gonna fly. It's inefficient. It doesn't fit the small business model and it definitely will cost you. My experience, up to a point, was by trial and error. And I read a whole lot of books to learn about how to manage a small business. In fact, when I recently moved, I threw out more than 40 books I'd bought and read when I was trying to teach myself the rudiments of building a small business. And that didn't include the countless articles, subscriptions to newspapers, newsletters and a whole bunch of material that I searched to find the magic key to success. The common thread among all that I read was that I'd have to cultivate a variety of skills and characteristics in order to do it right. These are essentially the same things that the syllabuses of most business schools are designed to teach you. None of these sources was all that helpful until I ran across one management consultant whose work was so compelling and so common-sensible that it blew all the others out of the water. It represented what, to me, was being street-smart instead of book-smart. And although this guy was known worldwide and was a consultant to the biggest international companies on the planet, what he had to say would apply equally well to startups and even personal relations. His name was Ecoch Calderon Azizas. That's A-D-I-Z-E-S. Dr. Adizis was recognized as one of the top 10 communicators in the world by the Holmes Report in 2017, along with the Dalai Lama, the Pope, and Angela Merkel, and other heads of state. He was also among the top 30 thought leaders in America by Leadership Excellence Journal. You can read more about his illustrious life if you check him out on Wikipedia. His first name is spelled I. K-A-C-H, and his last name, as I said, was A-D-I-Z-E-S. Years ago, when I was trying to introduce participative management into the corporate culture of Eastern Airlines, many years before that concept became popular, I had recruited people from all of the unions to form committees that would meet, discuss, and try to resolve problems that management was neglecting to the detriment of the airline. One of the people I recruited was a young co-pilot who asked me one day if I'd like to go with him for a weekend seminar at which a representative of the Adidas Institute presented a program dealing with just the kind of stuff we were trying to grapple with. That one weekend was such a revelation that it stuck with me to this day. We'll take a short break and I'll tell you about it. Did you know that you have access to a personal mentor to help you with your business issues? Whether you're starting a new business or trying to improve the way an existing business runs, you'll find them at score.org. This is the website for SCORE, the Service Corps of Retired Executives. It's an arm of the U.S. Small Business Administration and consists of thousands of volunteers in more than 300 cities across the United States. And the best part is that their services are offered at no cost to you. At score.org, You can enter your zip code and find a list of local mentors, each showing his or her areas of expertise, and you can schedule your own appointment at a convenient time and location. SCORE also offers a variety of regular workshops presented by professionals in their fields. You can see a current schedule of those events and pre-register on the spot. Some general classes are offered free of charge, while others have a modest fee, which is usually discounted for pre-registration. Check it out! SCORE is the place to go to find someone whose experience may be just what you need. Now, I don't pretend to be an expert at what the Adesas Institute teaches, but I did come away with enough of an interest to buy one of his books and follow up. I still refer to it to this day. Where most in the field teach that to be a good manager, you have to be skilled in all facets of business, Adizas, uniquely, holds that it's impossible for anyone to be competent in all of them. He identifies four attributes that good management must have and identifies them by the letters P, A, E, and I. They stand for producer, accountant, entrepreneur, and integrator. And in his writings, they're categorized by the roles those traits play in business. The first two being short-term, the latter two being long-term and outlook. Now, without going into too much detail, the producer is a person who is the doer. It's the person who produces the results. He or she is at work on time and makes things happen all day. It's he or she who's responsible for getting whatever a company produces to those who want or need it, and he or she can't rest until they do. Those who excel in this trait usually populate the hierarchy of line management. The accountant or administrator is a different kind of person. It's the administrator who thrives on taking responsibility for the process by which the producers fulfill their responsibilities. They systematize the work, they measure the results, install the mechanisms that ensure that the job gets done efficiently, and he or she is the the bean counter and usually loves numbers. The entrepreneur is the visionary, the person who is more interested in where the company will be five years from now. Things are constantly changing, and this is the one who keeps up with those changes and sees that the company can deal with and profit from them. Finally, the integrator is the people person, the one who makes sure that those people who are needed to pursue the company's mission, objectives, goals, and tasks are there to do it efficiently, effectively, and harmoniously and that the company won't be harmed by the loss of someone indispensable. The reason why no single individual can possibly boast of all these traits in equal measure is because they are, if not mutually exclusive, mutually inhibitive and incompatible. For example, a producer is going to champion the use of the company's resources to support the day-to-day operation of the company and to spend money to implement the systems that the administrator wants to put into place. The entrepreneur, on the other hand, is going to want to make use of those resources to effect changes that are essential to see that the company keeps up with technology and is capable of meeting or staying ahead of its competition. Those two responsibilities are a source of conflict, and for that reason, no one person can do justice to either position very well. Adesis analyzes each of the pairs of roles and shows how each will conflict with the other and he also makes the point that circumstances often determine which role is most important so at any given time one role may be more useful than another he also points out that everything changes constantly so that sets up the typical conflict between those who embrace change and those who don't. So you can see how someone who's the accountant type will have a very different viewpoint from that of the entrepreneur and so it goes. Adises insightfully counsels that rather than trying to acquire all of the skills or traits essential for sound management, it's more important that a manager honestly appraise the extent to which he possesses each of them and recognize his shortcomings. If I remember correctly, he says that a competent manager must excel at one or two roles, but have the capability of meeting the threshold requirements in all four. The best corporate leaders excel in the I role and excel in at least one other. To do this, in his book, Mesh Management, How to Solve the Management Crisis, Adesis creates a tool, a matrix that displays each of the four traits with a capital P, A, E, or I to represent a strong trait, a small P, A, or I to represent a modest trait, and an underscore to indicate none at all. This matrix of 81 different combinations yields some interesting insights when he labels the 21 most common combinations with fanciful names that describe their typical behavior. For example, he labels someone who excels in the E-roll to the exclusion of all others as an arsonist. Why? Because such a manager would tend to light a fire, come up with a new and exciting idea, and then walk away, leaving it for someone else to implement. Applying these notions to my own experience has helped me succeed because I knew that my strong suit was not in the day-to-day administration or management of a business, the p role It's in my DNA to come up with ideas, solve problems creatively, recognize opportunities, put together the ways a business can plan for the future, and assemble and motivate the people to do it. So I've hired people to assume the authority to make those day-to-day decisions freeing me to focus on the things I can do best, it works just great. The point of this discussion is to suggest that you perform that kind of honest self-appraisal and then seek others to work with you who will complement and supplement your role or skill sets rather than entertaining the thought that you might be somehow deficient because you don't have them all. When you recruit your first hire, it's less important that you find somebody experienced in the org chart vacancy uh, you first prioritize than it is that you hire someone whose strengths lie in the area in which you are the least gifted. The reason you're hiring this person is to competently take off your shoulders those responsibilities you prefer not to take, probably because you neither enjoy them nor do you do them as well as you do other things. That individual will not just fulfill the responsibilities defined in the job description for that role and leave unaddressed the responsibilities for other unfilled positions. He or she will use their skills to do everything you ask. Building boxes around a title is an archaic approach for managing personnel. Back in the day when the Xerox Corporation cut their managers and employees loose to form skunk works to work on new projects, They discovered that tearing down the boundaries between jobs, taking advantage of the interests and abilities of good people that extended beyond their job descriptions, resulted in some of the most profitable product development. The worst thing it can do is to magnify the importance of creating turf and by doing so increase the prospect of conflict when capable people felt it necessary to protect theirs. In any event, the axiom here is not to hire people to fill the holes in your org chart, Rather, fill those holes with people you hire for their skills and the degree to which they fill in the holes in the PAEI model. There's a corollary to this axiom, and that is, because of the differences in outlook, there will always be conflict. And this is where the most important management skill must be cultivated by the de facto manager, you usually. And that is the ability to resolve conflict. Resolving conflict is a skill you can learn. And it's best if you have a good sense of humor as well. That's saved a whole lot of relationships in any area. And the secret isn't all that complicated. When you find that a conflict has arisen between you and someone else in your organization or two other people in the organization, all it takes to fix it is to stop chuckle, and say, we both knew this was going to come up. We both have different ideas and both of us contribute to what we're trying to do. And we're both intelligent people. Let's the two of us sit down and look at the problem together and see if we can't come up with a solution to the problem that satisfy both of us. Sitting together on the same side of the table and putting the problem up on the board is much better than sitting across from each other and arguing about it. Figuratively speaking, by doing this, you're both focusing on the problem instead of focusing on each other. When you're able to instinctively take that position, you're truly fulfilling your role as a leader. And if you're willing to listen to the other side of the issue and understand that person's point of view, you might even learn something you didn't know or realize, and you're likely find the other person to be more willing to do the same. The end result will be a better solution than you would have come up with alone, and your stature will be increased rather than diminished. As they used to say in the old Alka-Seltzer ads, Try it. You'll like it.